Welcome to another episode of the Soul Savvy Podcast. Today I am joined by our Oregon Ducks football player, former Nike and Jordan brand uh, design legend, really. We're going to dive into all of this incredible work throughout his career, especially on the shoe right behind me, the AJ1, and then also entrepreneur, brand owner, um, NIL innovator, uh, Garen Strong. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Peace and salutations. Peace and salutations. Hey, man, I'm really excited for you to join us today because um, here at Soul Savvy, we're all about sneakers. And um, there's just so many people in the industry that have had historical impacts on products and on the larger sneaker culture as a whole that we just never get to hear from. And you're one of those people when you realize the body of work you put out still really early in your career too. And um, I'm just excited to, to hear your story and to share that with our listeners and to learn a little bit more about a pretty exciting new uh, venture you have going here at the uh, University of Oregon Lundquist College of Business MBA program <laughs> where you're going to be an adjunct professor, man. H- how does that sound being an alumni, a former football star, and now adjunct professor for a master's program? You know, um, one, it's an honor, I think. Just going to the University of Oregon and my experience as a student athlete and then being able to graduate with like a sports marketing um, degree, getting an internship at Nike. It's kind of just like a a full circle to leave as a a student athlete and then to come back as a professor. And, you know, for me, the biggest thing was to kind of give back any knowledge and and information I have to the the next generation or just those that are passionate and looking to get into that space. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different experience standing in front of, you know, 24 to like 28 years year old saying basically, hey, you can call me instructor or professor strong, which is wild, but I'm honored. Yeah. And before we even get to that point, you mentioned the outside of just being an incredible opportunity to share your experiences at the global powerhouse when it comes to sportswear that is Nike with kind of like the best sportswear program also in the country when you think about the University of Oregon. I know I, I was listening to your podcast, Jabari's podcast, uh, the second half, which you can you can listen to on streaming platform. And you're kind of breaking down your story and your rise in your career there. And you mentioned that Phil Knight himself helped you secure your first Nike uh, internship. And um, I couldn't help but think that because of your journey being an Oregon duck and then all of your success at Nike, that outside of it just being a great opportunity to be a professor at a powerhouse program, there, there's something about that Ducks family that makes you want to give it back, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, I didn't get to where I got to by myself. And so for me, always being someone that just is into sharing and or trying to gain as much information as I can and as much game as I can, that was one of the things that I wanted to go back for and like, a lot of the conversation had started around me just asking, you know, why isn't Oregon's academic side possibly as innovative as its athletic side? If you think about Oregon, the uniforms, the facilities and all of that, those resources are still around for the, the academic side or at least to be known for, you know, well-rounded, innovative com- or school program, uh, college. And so that's where... Again, having these relationships, um, being still tapped in down in Eugene and just having like good friends and I would say mentors as well as peers, 
got me back to teaching on campus. And it is because of that, that Ducks family. And, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of the folks that I went to school with outside of just playing. You know, I um, a lot of these people are now business experts and professionals in whatever industry. So for me, you know, I'm just one part of, you know, the Duck community and or trying to give back to the, the Duck community. Yeah, it's interesting that you say the innovation that we see on the field as fans are on the court, um, that th those same resources are available to people who eventually transition from the court or the field. And, and you're a perfect example of that. I think we hear about, well, Oregon is like a great place to springboard you to the, the next level, whether that be, per, uh, you know, the NFL or the NBA, but they really are equipped to spring you to the next level too, if you go a different route. And, and in your case, that is, uh, you know, entering the sports sportswear world, um, and that, what was your experience like at this same college that you're now going to be a professor at? What was your experience like there as an undergrad? Yeah, it was a dope experience. Again, I'm originally from the Bay Area, San Jose, California. So coming up to Eugene was definitely a culture shock of, you know, Marco, I know you're from the Bay and all that of like just the diversity that you have every day, just coming outside to then going out to Eugene, which was predominantly white, um, super small town definitely smaller than san jose and the cool thing though was one of the reasons why i came up there is because i didn't know about their sports marketing program um their undergrad and their mba program as well as a lot of the coaches and some of the other student athletes or yeah the older student athletes were from the bay area there was like a mini kind of like pipeline from the bay area to to oregon and so for me I wanted to get away from California just for, for a minute and just see what else is out there. And I think that's kind of how I live my life is like trying to explore and like get into other things. Cause I do think the more that you can get out of your comfort zone, the more that like mentally um, you get, you get like an expansion or you kind of expand as well as you start to learn more about yourself and putting yourself in these different uh, situations and opportunities. So the experience was dope. Like, I got still, you know, the friends that I met in college are still some of my best friends today. Um, my career didn't go as well as I wanted it to go. It was definitely plagued with a lot of injuries or a lot of nagging injuries. So coming out of school, you know, instead of kind of trying to chase a dream, which I was just listening to a podcast the other day and they're like, the reason why you shouldn't say chasing the dreams, it means that there's something running away from you. And, uh, for me, it kind of felt like that. It was like I was trying to chase a football career in the NFL, which was a childhood dream. And kind of just being aware of some other teammates that were older that left, that then came back and kind of had a bitter taste in their mouth about either the program or how their career ended up. I told myself I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be that person that just kind of blamed other folks or things didn't work out trying to figure out what the next step is for the next three to five years. And knowing that we had a connection with Nike, we literally seen Phil Knight in our locker room every game day. He was there before the game and after the game, no matter if we lost, if we won. And my junior year, I think it was, no, my it was, yeah, either my junior or senior year, I was coming off the field and I was like one of the first ones in the locker room. And he was standing in there. And so I just decided to actually introduce myself, like formally introduce myself, because he knows he knows every player. He knows where they're from. He knows where the rainies were, all that. 
And so when I walked up to him and asked him or introduced myself, he's like, oh, no, I, I know who you are. I was like, yeah, but I just want to formally introduce myself. And he was kind of actually thrown off by that. And I told him that at some point, if I had the opportunity to work at Nike, I would love that. And if there's any way or anything that I needed to do to actually get me there. And he responded with just reaching out to who was a formal, former uh, athletic director by the name of Bill Barco or Jim Barco, sorry, Jim Barco, to meet with him the following week after the game. So it happened on a Saturday when I had spoken to Phil Knight. I probably walked into that office on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And he was like, hey, and I've I've met Jim Barco, but I don't know him like that. But he was like, yeah, yeah, Phil said that I should be expecting you. And so like just even that fast of the conversation that he had with Jim, we sat down and we came up with a plan of how, you know, I can make my way up to Nike through an internship. And yeah, pretty much the rest is history because then it was, you know, it was put on me to to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, I'm pretty proactive and never try to sit around and hoping that somebody is just going to help me or whatever it may be. And so knowing that I had an opportunity to be on Nike or on the campus, I, I just took that around with it. Yeah, man. What a what a journey that was. And fast forwarding to today. Um, an adjunct professor for a master's program. I mean, let's just get into it. What does he mean in the name of the course? I was trying to look it online, <laughs> but it's a brand new course. I yeah. know classes started last week. What's the course and what are students going to be covering? Them? Yeah, so the official name is Sports Business 645 in Sports Product. Second year MBA students and or uh, accelerated MBA students. And it is really basically covering any and everything around sports products. So things that are influenced or created around sports. And for me, it's, I started to look at it a different way. I, there was a, a professor that taught it before and I got to look at a syllabus. So I actually had to create my own syllabus, all that yeah. stuff, which was again, a whole different experience, but it's really, you know, focusing on footwear, equipment, apparel, as well as I think, you know, digital and content is now a sports product. Um, and you can get into some other things that are now becoming sports products, whether it's, you know, NFTs in the Web3 and all that stuff is like the, from what I've known sports product was just equipment, apparel and footwear. Now I think it expanded and has evolved to just more than the physical kind of tangible products even to now more of, you know, digital and part of the digital space. And so for me, it's only 10 weeks. So Marco, I know you being a part of, you know, Jordan and connected with us and footwear is like, you need more than 10 weeks to, yeah. to really explain the, the inner workings and the process of product creation. But I just wanted to hit on like the key moments, the key functions, and really double down on areas that for you to be a great product leader, a product marketer, you have to know this or be an expert in this. And so we'll run through like last week, the start of class. I think one of the things that also I wanted to highlight is like, hey, let's kind of start taking away the theory and really get into practical things and like things that you can take from this class and truly apply them no matter where you go. And so my biggest focus is around like engagement, participation and like critical thinking. And from there, you're taking that information and you're coming up with your own opinion, which really then evolves around your vision, your strategy, you know, the consumer, 
how you work with teammates and all that. And so that's what we're covering is like from the start of having a vision and knowing what that vision is to then getting into the strategy and how you're going to like what your ultimate goal is and what you want the product to be about, as well as what you want the brand to be about doubling down on the consumer. Cause I feel like if you don't have consumer, you shouldn't be building a product. If you don't know exactly who your consumer is, it would be hard for you to really, you know, survive by building product for people outside yourself and then getting into design development and collaboration and how heavy, you know, collaboration is like, that's now just a part of, I think the culture is like collaboration is in line now. It's just now, how are you, how are you telling the stories? How many units and or what's the the numbers you're putting behind it and things of that nature, merchandising, marketplace roadmap. And for each class, I'm bringing in someone that's in that industry or in the industry um, and that can speak to it directly. Like present day, I am working on this and this is what we're looking to do. And this is how we're going to build. So again, for me, that's how I've learned is like, I don't think there's any books that can really teach you product marketing or you know uh, sports product marketing and so the more that i can bring real people with real life examples as well as like even the content that we're the materials that we're focused on is like how i would go about it building out products and that's through like podcasts youtubes articles that are happening and less of like textbooks because it's you know someone wrote that textbook 20 30 years ago even maybe longer so yeah, I'm yeah, sorry to be long-winded on that, but that's really how the, the course is laid out, what I'm looking or what my intentions are with the course. I asked them also, the students, what their expectations were of me. You know, yep. I think a lot of times people get in rooms and just begin to talk and students are supposed to listen. Mm-hmm. But if there's no like, you know, middle ground or really some understanding from my side and making sure that I am bringing in relevant things for them and that they feel that they're a part of the class and not just it being one-sided is also something that I was focused on. Yeah, that's really important. One thing you said that stood out to me was having to understand the consumer and before you even get to the product standpoint. So when I look at this class and you bring in somebody who grew up an athlete, played at the highest level in college, and then I kind of like glazed over it earlier, but before you even touched the AJ1 at World Headquarters, you were, you were putting in work in field sports, yep. um, different types of footwear, different types of products, right? So having that well-rounded understanding of, of the product, it's more than just leather, rubber, foam, right? There's so much that goes into that. Uh, how, how much did those first few years at Nike before you even got to Jordan or footwear, how much did those play a role in how you look at footwear and now how you look at teaching people? Yeah, they played a a huge role. You know, I think if it wasn't for my experience leading up to the Jordan one and managing that franchise, I don't know the same output would be what it was. Um, And coming from a brand marketing background before I hit product marketing was based around like the storytelling and the consumer. And so focusing really on that and really understanding how to come up with insights or how to build on insights, how to, you know, build for a concern consumer or work around a consumer, understand what a consumer lifestyle is like, what are they doing outside of just engaging with your product? You know, what are their other influences 
and what are they inspired by and all that. And so for me, it was kind of taking all that information that then landed me where I was. It was funny because when I was in the brand marketing role, I was always in the product area of the floor. And one of my longtime mentors who's still like, now is like a, a bigger brother to me, has always had spoken to me like, yo, you need to get in the product. And I, at the time, I didn't know what he meant. Uh, you know, Nike is just a huge place. And so I was just focused on marketing, telling dope stories, going to all the events and enjoying myself and all that, you know what I mean? Um, to where when I finally did have the opportunity, which I was told no a couple of times too, that a lot of folks don't know of, you know, previous roles that came before the Jordan training footwear role. And at that time, I was actually looking to leave Nike in general and just get into some other things. And then there was an opportunity to interview for the first PLM for the Jordan training footwear role. This was like when Jordan was going to invest in, in the training and get mm -hmm. after all that. And so from there, got the role. And I took a lot of the learnings of not only the brand marketing side and like building a consumer page and all of that stuff and insights to then even building a construct and tapping in with folks that were already in the footwear role to understand what are like the, the main things that I needed to, to be a, a great uh, PLM. And yep. just as a, a great leader, I guess, because I think a lot of those roles or those roles are just leadership roles, no matter if you're a, mm -hmm. a PLM, which is associate product line marketer, product line marketer, all the way up to, you know, a VP is that you're put in place to lead a team. And the biggest thing is that you don't own any part of the process. So if you're not getting folks to like buy into your vision and all that, it's going to be hard to, to create and build product as well. Yeah. Making that transition from a brand marketer to hands-on product development and, and seeing that come out is a heck of a jump too. You mentioned it earlier, but we don't see that very often in the footwear industry, especially at a place that you know kind of wrote the book on how to make uh, amazing amazing product yeah i was so, told there was a, a lot of times that it was like no we don't if you're in brand marketing you stay in brand marketing yeah. there, there's no really product marketing and vice versa like there wasn't a lot of folks that were in product marketing moving over to brand marketing and even some of these informationals man like sitting down it was they weren't the most welcoming of like even brand marketers of like, hey, can you help me tap into some folks in product? Or I would sit down with product and they'd be like, yeah, it's going to be tough for you to get into to product. And again, um, my biggest thing is like, if you've seen it done once before, it can be done again. And I know yeah. I wasn't the first and only person to go from brand marketing to product marketing. Although as rare as it was, I could make it happen. You know what I mean? I knew I could make it happen. And I did yeah. just that. Yeah. And, there, and there's often like internally when you're working on a, on a product, there is often a huge uh, back and forth um, between product and marketing because they're both so essential to, right. to Nike. Right. 
Mikey is one of the best marketing companies in the world. At the same time, they're one of the best footwear companies in the world or sportswear companies in the world. So the, there definitely is a lot of back and forth that happens there. And, and I can see, um, I think, like, for example, when I was there, I got really lucky working on the comms and marketing side of things because I was working with guys like you and other people on the team who understood the the power of storytelling beyond right. making the shoe, right? Yeah. Like you still have to see it through until that kid sees it, he, he reads about it, and then he puts it on uh, puts it on their feet. So I think that helped a ton having you and a bunch of other guys that really kind of had like a, a marketing mindset too um, that helped do that. But again, it, it, there is a lot that happens behind the scenes between those two functions because they're both so important, but they also both have their own priorities too that uh, they need to follow. Yeah, I think, you know, they're really like the the cool kids on, on a campus and they're both, both coveted roles at just mm -hmm. different parts of the process. And so, you know, there was always, I think, uh, internal, I wouldn't say competition because they weren't competing against each other, but just more of like, yo, we stay over here. You guys stay over there and we'll yeah. be good. You know what I mean? And although, yes, yeah. we're working together as a team to bring this story to life and this product to life, I think just when you're working with type A um, yep. characters and, and and people that you'll get that and they don't want anyone in their kind of circle or in their space trying to tell them what to do and vice versa. But yeah. it for me, I was just fluid in that of like, yo, are we really trying to bring the best story and the best product to life? If so, when I was on the brand marketing side is like, I needed to really know what the, the story and the concept was around the product and ask them like, how do you guys see this coming to life? Yeah. Like what is with your concept and your idea? How did you see coming to life? And actually that's where I think you start to find that they didn't know that part. And so I was able to help with that um, on that end and then vice versa, just understanding what the end goal is for, like you're saying for brand marketing is like the storytelling, engaging with the consumer and all that is like when I went to attack a lot of my, the product line and a lot of the storytelling was done through concept all the way of it being in the store, a commercial maybe being built around it or whatever marketing plan being built around it. So yeah, it's two unique roles, two dope roles. I think if you can land in brand marketing or product marketing, um, it's a special experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think I, I directly um, got to benefit from, from that experience because by the time I got to the point where I, I was able to help tell some of these stories, I was working with, with people who really got it right. And really yeah. wanted those to, to get out. And I, I just remember, you know, geeking, geeking out um, anytime I met with product. Cause you're looking at like, just as a sneaker person, you're looking at, okay, here's the next 10 shoes for the right. next six months. So part of you is like, Oh shit, I just want to see it because I can't wait to put it on. The other part of you is like, Oh, wait, I'm trying to understand their vision and make sure that that gets uh, translated in the most authentic way possible. Um, doubling back to to the class that you're teaching, I have to ask, man, uh, what pair of shoes did you wear for week one last week? I had I wore the black red ones. I thought okay. like, if I was going to start anywhere, start with the, the first one. So I have that, but I do have a, a rotation that I'm going to try to rock a new pair, probably ones between ones and, or probably just ones all the way through. Um, again, cause I, I'm just super honored and, and proud of the, the work that was put in for the ones. And it was my, my favorite shoe even before I was able to touch them. So 
Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk about that. Do you want to ask one more? You mentioned in the syllabus um, that you plan to bring some some colleagues on board to to, to share different parts of the process. Um, yep. Is is there one that you can share with us right now that you're really excited to bring on because they represent such a, a unique part of the of the process of building the product? Oh uh, man, I'm actually trying to bring Tinker down there. Like oh, as much wow. as as much as. Oregon folks know who he yeah. is. He's still like this mythical creature on on the Oregon campus. It's like you hear about him through like the designs. You may have seen him at a game or teaching or some like speaking yeah. event, but like to to have him come in and hopefully speak for like an hour, hour and a half, truly around just what inspires him and what gets him going as a designer and how much, you know, the the product marketers and like communication needs to be you know cohesive as well as just collaborations and cool so you know something cool like I think that's yeah. the, the the benefit I do have of coming from Nike and the network I was able to to build is folks like him uh, I think I'm excited because one of my favorite guys is is James Whitner mm -hmm. and you know and I know he's killing it in the space right now but truly when you're able to sit down with him and talk business and really get his perspective on it is, is something that I'm inspired and like excited for students to, to experience that. And then we had Chris Amon, who's a, a longtime Nike vet and someone that again has been integral in, in my professional life for sure, as well as my personal life, but just the way that he breaks down things and he's able to storytell around um, things as well as just his experience. He's, he's someone that a lot of folks may have, I think if you're on campus, you heard his name, but in the industry, you may have not, but he's been a part mm -hmm. of Nike basketball back in the mid nineties. You know what I mean? Like when it was like yeah. really popping and getting going to all the way up to doing things with the, the military and the SFT boot and all that stuff. So like he yeah. has a, a broad experience and, yeah, man, it's it's going to be dope. I'm excited. And then there's other brands that I'm looking to bring in, like Allbirds, yep. you know, to speak from a, as well as like a sustainability and design and an insight, yep. and insights and things like that uh, to Beats by Dre, hopefully looking to bring some folks in from there. Gymshark. So again, making it like as well-rounded as possible. Because one of the things that I... <laughs> I told the students is like, this is not just going to be a Nike class. Yeah. That's one thing that it's not going to be. Cause I, I learned from so many things outside of Nike that helped yep. me with the footwear that I was working on within Nike, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or within Jordan. And so making sure that they know that there are also other dope brands out there doing real dope things um, is really what I, I wanted to get after as well. Yeah. I was taking a look at the NBA programs website and I noticed that there are uh, there's a lot of brand diversity in there. There's a part of the two-year program. I think there's a trip to Under Armour headquarters. There's a trip overseas to, to factories in Asia. Yeah. There's uh, different speakers from different brands. And I, I thought that was really cool because you think about Nike, you think about uh, Oregon, and you you automatically kind of like, all right, I'm going to learn a shit ton of cool Nike stuff here. Right. But it's dope that they're really diversifying that to say, hey, like our, our priority here is not to make Nike better by itself our priority here is just to make better footwear right. product professionals so the whole industry as a whole yeah. can benefit and then obviously competition is good too right like i would imagine if this program that you're teaching 
leads to awesome designers and, and product people at different brands. That's just a win for the program because it shows how well-rounded you guys are building and it's not Nike focused. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. And you know, not everybody may fit in at Nike or Jordan. Yep. Like you have your own personal style, own personal way of doing things. Um, it's just really what, you know, what brands and places that fit for you and work for yep. you. So yeah, for me, it's and just like to try to bring as much as I can to help with that. Yeah, we just recorded a podcast last week where we kind of touched on how competitive the space is right now in a good way. Like, I can't remember a time in my life where this many footwear brands have been this on fire at the same time. And yeah. like one person's success isn't necessarily hurting somebody else's. I'm sure it's affecting numbers at a very like high level, but like everybody is putting good stuff out right now. And the main winner of that is the consumer, right? Like more than Absolutely. ever, there's not just two brands. There's this, I, I walked into a boutique. I saw like 10 brands in there. I was like, I can't remember the last time I seen this much footwear, like lifestyle footwear. Right, right, yeah. And I think, you know, me being an ex-athlete, like that's cool is just because the, the competitive side of me is like, yeah. hopefully these brands and these people in these roles are actually, you know, competing to create the best product out in the marketplace, which you said like the best reason or the, the ones who are willing, re really winning my fault are the consumers. So, I think it kind of just levels up the competition across all brands and for people to really be on their the P's and Q's on how they're building out the product, the stories that they're telling, making sure that it's authentic, you know, all of that stuff, like the details and what is really put into it so that you're not only just making the brand better, but you're making the, the marketplace better and product better. Speaking of the best product possible, for the better half of the last decade in, in these boxes right behind me. And, and that's what I want to transition to next. I have a, I have a bunch of, uh, of questions I want to ask you about your experience on the aging one and how much it's grown. But I, I want to start first by just, you know, setting the record straight for, you know, what was your role um, in regards to the AJ one? Um, and I'm kind of like, for, for those I'm not familiar with, with the particular roles inside Nike, what yeah. was the name of your role and what were you responsible for? Yeah, so I was the senior product marketer for the Air Jordan 1 franchise. And my responsibility and role or roles and responsibility was to really manage that, not only the product creation side, but the, the business side of the Air Jordan 1 and building it um, as, a, as a growth franchise. And, you know, being the, the quarterback and the point guard, I guess, of the team of like things kind of moved how... I could get the team to move and yeah. working with, you know, great folks in the design side from material design to color design, working with engineering and the team over there in Asia uh, to then even connecting with our operations guys. Like I was kind of the one that managed and shepherded the, the Air Jordan 1 franchise from concept all the way through to, to go to market pretty much. Yeah, man, what what a what a era that was for that particular the, the era that I always refer to um when talking about this 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 time period is like really a golden era for Jordan brand when you're thinking about like 2016, 2016-ish, all the way up until where we are now is like but especially those like 2017 to 2020, like it was just hit after hit of um AJ1 just hit from collapse to inline to to different franchises low um, yeah. um mid fly ease like everything was just coming out um 
um, at such a, a rapid pace and everything was hitting. It was an incredible period for footwear and for the brand. Um, how does it feel now? Like, uh, I, first of all, I'm sure you went to campus and saw a ton of AJ ones. How does it feel when you see a shoe you either directly worked on or kind of indirectly influenced that shoe to, to, to exist? Yeah. Um, what is that feeling like? I think the first thing again is like, I'm just honored, man, um, to have the opportunity and going into that, there wasn't a lot of folks that, I don't know if they didn't believe in me. I didn't know if they believed truly in the Air Jordan 1 and what it could do, but I know there was not the the biggest reception of the, the vision and um, strategy that I had. And so to see where it's at now and to see that there are just, my influences are still kind of there long after I've left, which has been two and a half years now already, which is crazy to say. Um, it's just a, a huge honor and a, an accomplishment, but also at the same time, it's again, another goal that I knew I would, would be able to do and to, to have that done and to now look for the ne next challenge and build on those successes and those wins is kind of where I, where I'm at. I, like, I don't, I don't dwell too much in the, the past. Uh, I'm very much more just like what's in front of me is like what we're needed to get after or what I need to get after. But it's dope, you know, and for the ones that know, because um, I don't do a lot of talking on just what I've been able to contribute to the space. Uh, and but those that are still on campus, those that, you know, I may run into that were former teammates or have been a part of that experience. I think it's, it's great to get that recognition. Um, but for me, it's like, yeah, now I'm trying to compete with that and, and do something even bigger i don't know if that's possible but we're, we're, we're gonna see <laughs> yeah definitely man that that that's that's exciting stuff to think about is like we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute but just continue to elevate right it's net, yeah. like, like it, it's 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 great to celebrate things but it's what did i learn from that what am i gonna do next um take me back to uh, I'm guessing the year is like probably 2015, 16, 17 ish. You're making this pitch for the AJ one. And now it looks, it sounds ridiculous, right? To be like, this is the most popular shoe in the world. I have friends who've never been into sneakers asking me how they get them, how to do this. It's still happening in almost 2023. It's not like this era. Right. ended. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a, a no brainer idea at the time to be like, let's blow this up. Let's diversify its portfolio. Let's make sure that it, 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 it serves everyone. What was that pitch like? And more importantly, what was your vision? Because again, people forget, like we were getting uh, a Royal or a Bread every few years, maybe like right. five years. And we were getting OGs. And then like we got Lowe's in 2013, 14, but they didn't hit. So it wasn't like like the shoe was on fire. Everyone, It's everyone's favorite shoe now, including mine. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people associate it with like, it being really hot in the 80s, of course, it got banned. And then there were some classics. The O1s are a classic to sneakerheads, but they weren't mainstream right. shoes by any means. Yeah. So it's hard for people to believe that that actually took push from you and your teammates and a vision to see it grow like this. So what sparked that vision for you? Yeah, so I think when it started, so after I was in the PLM for the training, after a year the brand decided to divest or go away from training and mm -hmm. uh, focus on just other businesses. And from when that happened, I then moved over 
And there was like this transition period where I was leading retros for, so basically retros, how we looked at it is the one all the way through like the 14. And then everything else was, is a retro, but you know, that was like super deep in the vault. So we didn't really pull anything out at that time. And that was around like 2016. And we started to get more resources on that side of footwear. And my director at the time came to me and was like, yo, we're going to have some more people be added to the team for the workload. Cause again, Jordan was really trying to grow and get after the, the numbers and just the overall business. And mm-hmm. so when I was asked that, and I had worked through a couple of seasons of retro and that was like, you had the footwear line of retro. So from three to like six and a number of units and SKUs and all that stuff. And then mm-hmm. AJ ones were on the same product line or product plan as the retro, but it was looked at as at the time I felt as a, as like afterthought to your point, let's get a couple of these high OGs out there. Mids were more for like the mall and um, there were no lows. So it was really between high OGs and mids and the number of SKUs, though, were like in the 10 to like 12. So six SKUs almost for each, really more than that, um, for each of the, the models. And I was just looking at that. And every time I would go into brief like color and material, I felt myself always just saying, okay, and then we have the AJ1s and we need to do this and we need to do this and we need to do this. But then with like the retros, everybody was like excited about the retros. If it was a three, what stories are we telling about the three? If it was five, what are we telling this and that? So I went to him and he, when he asked me, hey, do you want to stay on retros? I was like, to be honest, and this is Jamal. I think he's pretty much the, the person that allowed me to get to where I got to in the Jordan ones. And that was because of our relationship. And he was probably one of the, the best directors I've had of just being communicative and open to any thoughts I had um, as well as just we connected because he's an ex-athlete as, as well. Um, somebody that we, you guys definitely need to get on here at some point because I can see yeah. him being like the next president for the Jordan brand, just how his story is and where he started to where he's at now and all that. But long story short, Real I was quick, able to uh, uh, maybe go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, for those not familiar, Jamal, uh, longtime Jordan Brand athlete. He played ball at Cincy too, right? Cincinnati, yeah. A, a Jordan when school. The, like he's yeah. – yeah, jo- Jordan through and through. And, man, legend and legend in that building for sure. Yeah. So, Maul asked me that. I told him, hey, let me actually break out the AJ1. Because it was still looked at as a franchise, but it wasn't being worked on as a franchise. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, let me – yeah, just give me AJ1s and I'll focus on that with whatever few other sportswear models that I need to like build out a, a line plan. And he let me rock out. And from there, my vision was, you know, put the Jordan one in its rightful place in footwear and the culture as it as I think it belong, as it, it should be, um, especially me being somewhat of like, I'm really into like just classic things and things that are sleek, timeless. And so it all worked out for me in that sense of my vision was to really take that 
and go beyond where anyone can imagine, knowing that the shoe has been around for 30 years before me. And I guess some say that's what I did. Um, but I just wanted to really work on something that a lot of folks didn't have a lot of eyes on that wasn't trying to like influence things or change things and all that and just build it out as much as I can. And for those to, you know, the ones that couldn't afford the high OGs still, you know, live in the dream of, of Jordan. Cause I know what Jordan meant for me when I was a kid and mm -hmm. getting my first pair and all that stuff is like, how's, how do we make the Jordan one also that type of experience for those that maybe haven't come across the Jordan brand or bought any Jordans? Like, can I create lows? Can I create mids that actually, start to really influence the the community and the culture as much as the high OG. Yeah, I mean that's that that foresight to to recognize that is so important. And I, again in your interview with Jabari, the second half podcast, you touched on on your retro experience and you talked about working on Team Jordans, like like the yep. Pro Strong, for example. And we, we live in we live in an era of sneaker culture that's like um it's very like dictated by memes, like the way right, that we right, talk right. about this, which is fun and it's funny. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong, I'm not like too old to appreciate how like how how kind of like funny a lot of things are. But one thing that people get wrong all the time is like the significance of budget models, like a or takedown models, like a Team Jordan, like a Pro Strong, and in this case, like mids and lows, um, like the non-hype mids and lows, right? right? Not like the Travis lows, like the the mids that go to um to the malls and and the lows that go to the malls um can you share a little bit about like how big that market is working on team jordan and models like the pro strong and why like or help explain because the average sneakerhead thinks that why is jordan wearing making these why do they make six rings or like they they poke fun at these things but two two things are, are at play here one is if those things weren't selling i guarantee you the brand would not be making them and two right. is the bubble we live in in like the hype sneaker cycle is so small compared to the rest of the market that people forget that not everybody is trying to get a million Instagram likes. Some people right, genuinely right. want to be able to go to the mall, find a shoe that reminds them of a part of their life or yeah. makes them feel cool. Or sometimes even just that jump logo on it, like it is enough to like give confidence to whoever is wearing that. Like you shared your story, same as me when I was a kid. Like Jordan represented like greatness, and back then this was like pre-social era. But like the the jokes that fly around now got nothing to do with with that real connection is between those products and that consumer. So yeah, what did you exactly. learn about that market um, that that makes it again so relevant? Yeah, I can tell you at one point when we had the the mids and the lows jumping, they were making way more money than the high OGs just mm -hmm. through distribution and the number of units that we were starting to put out behind that. And a lot of that was, you know, when we first started, my challenge was to do just that, make the mids and the lows as sought after as much as we did the high OGs because it was lopsided. Mm -hmm. It was just the high OGs to your point. It was just those folks that were like in the trends and hype beasts at the time, what you call them and sneakerheads, which is now just, I don't even know what kind of term that is. <laughs> nowadays. Now it's but, like everybody with the, with yeah, the yeah, phone yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, for me, it was, yeah, it was like getting after these opportunities that 
weren't focused on prior to and also connecting with consumers that still love the brand still was inspired by the brand but maybe you know didn't have the means to go out and buy a $160 shoe at the time but wanted to be a part of that and still wanted you know that that footwear to act as some confidence for them when they're going to school, elementary school, when they're going to middle school. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing that I think a lot of folks miss out on in high school is like yeah. everyone out here is not adults that have mm-hmm. jobs and can buy 160, 180, yep. $250 shoes. You do have these communities that, you know, don't have as much money to spend outside of lunch, outside of their daily clothes that yeah. still though is inspired and and really love the brand and for us was to bring that that experience of the same sneakerheads you talk about or the hype piece that you talk about or when they're buying that high og down to them in a mid and a low and you know being able to rock those shoes every day with confidence and that's the the monday to friday business is like these kids aren't or these you know even not even kids young adults as well aren't able to go out every weekend and buy a new shoe but they can buy a shoe at this price point that has storytelling behind it and they feel good about putting them on every day beyond just the weekends and and trying to show off in front of their friends and so for me it was that it was like the high OGs again you know what I knew what they were going to do regardless in the sense of once we started to really get storytelling behind it my focus was more about how do we really diversify the the franchise and truly make it a franchise because at the time that wasn't a franchise because you had a a mid and a high that's not a franchise Mm -hmm. you know that's just two two models that so happened to be a takedown version and even conversation around that I think you know I don't want to go too much in depth on this but with these brands and when they collaborate and folks get upset about then the brand kind of taking some influence or being inspired by what the high heat, what is like, yo, they got to make money off of the investment that they put yeah. into. <laughs> there needs to be a day-to-day business or a Monday through Friday business. So if you do see components from a collaboration that's now in line with a, a brand, that's because they've took, you know, what was high heat, what was more of like a seeding phase and where they got the eyes for those that could afford that shoe and that collaboration. And now I was trying to break it down for the, really the, the masses. Cause what you're speaking about with the, like the high OGs and all that collaborations, that's like the 1% of the, the, yeah. the 99, you know what I mean? Like the 99% are the ones that are really spending the money, the day to day on that. And if they can have a piece of that collaboration or a piece of that, that, that heat, that's where the brands start to win and start to, you know, win over communities that maybe haven't had the opportunity to, to, to buy into the, the higher price points and the, the exclusive product. So it's like, yeah, our, you know, the storytelling and I get, and I don't know all the inner twerkings and all or inner workings and all that. And I see headlines, but the first thing that I go to when like you start to hear like, well, this person's disgruntled because they're taking this collaborator's designs it's like ah there was a partnership part of that partnership is a business and i'm not saying who's right or wrong i'm just saying be aware of there's a business and that the brand is always going to try to do business on the side of them 
Uh, and yeah. so, yeah. That's been a hot topic lately. Um, it's been happening for years and, and the, the way that people still continue to be surprised by it always like makes me scratch my head because um, they're like, yeah, Jordan is giving us or Nike's giving us this takedown version, whether it be uh, like a Mocha versus a Travis or right. like a smoke gray with using the, the union color blocking. And it's just like, well, what do you expect? Like the brand, these are the brand's products. They're not stealing products. They're inviting collaborators in to create something special. Right. And part of creating something special, good or bad, right or wrong, historically has been a little bit more limited, a little bit more premium than the everyday stuff. But then it makes perfect sense to kind of have that trickle down um, uh, the heat from the high heat trickle down to, to the inline stuff. And again, the other half of that is so people can just participate because participate, if you want yeah, a, yeah. a union Jordan one and you don't have $2,000 to spend, um, a smoke gray is going to allow you to, like you mentioned, buy into, um, into that feeling. And I think that was one thing that I always kept in mind when we were, you know, doing storytelling was that whether it's the, one of the greatest crafted sneakers of all time with the best story, like the new beginnings pack that you worked on, or it's an inline shoe our job is to make sure that everybody that gets that shoe feels really putting down a lesser version or a watered down version. They feel like the brand put just as much care into those things and to their storytelling as they did into the, like you mentioned, the 1% of sneakers. And so I think that, was, that was an important was, lesson. That was yeah. exactly what it was. It was truly putting as much, that's what I challenged our team, our color and material team and development team. How do we put as much energy into these mids and lows that we do these high OGs? And that's where you started to see a lot of the different color combinations and mids and lows coming back on and trying to even do collaborations around mids and lows was because we were so top heavy and so exclusive that for us to, to grow and to understand and connect to communities that were underserved is like, we had to do that. Um, not only for the, the business sake, but also just for the consumers and, and the brand being what it is. It's like that brand is rare air, pun intended, um, of just the influence and inspiration it has on culture. Not footwear culture, but culture in general. And so yep. for us, if we weren't serving some of these communities that are inspired and influenced by, it was kind of a, a shame on us. You know what I mean? Well, definitely, especially when you consider just like, again, how ridiculous aftermarket pricing has gone. Like <laughs> if, if we don't serve them in other ways, you're squeezing out the very consumer that oftentimes is the inspiration for the shoes. Right. And that's super backwards to, to, to not be supportive of that, of, of like saying, hey, not everyone can, can afford the, the, some of the designs that these things go for, which is which is crazy as both a testament to how great they are appreciated but also uh, troubling when you think about just like who has access to those i do want to talk a little bit about um some of the behind the scenes stuff that goes on I, like yeah. i mentioned earlier like even your role itself played such a massive part in making this franchise a, uh, I think multi-billion dollar franchise no if not on its way um there's a lot of like roles that like we don't necessarily see um, in, in the press, what are some of like the key roles that were involved in, in your particular run? I know, like just to, to name a few, we talked about you know color design being important, yeah. material design. Can you share a few of those that 
it's um, like the shoes when you were making are, are just really key roles for those of you not familiar with the background back end of creating the shoe. Yeah, man, it's those two that you just called out as far as function and roles. It's costing is huge. A lot of folks think that we just have an unlimited budget to create a shoe and mm -hmm. that we're making all this money off of it. And all that is like, there's details, sweat, you know, all the way down to the lace tips, to the type of rubber that we're using insoles. So engineering and costing is huge. Development is probably the most underappreciated role there is in the footwear process. Um, because they they do a lot of the dirty work and they they're the ones that are usually saying no because of the budget that we have for each model or each colorway or um, the overall franchise. And so I think without development, if you don't have a good developer, you'll be stuck with either not growing and making the margins that you need to and still putting out high quality product. You know, that was the, the biggest thing with the developers that I worked with is like, how do we, okay, if this is not the answer, what is the solution? And what is mm -hmm. what does that mean for the rest of the product or the product line? And bringing, you know, between the designers, which would be the color material design on one side and then the, the developer, um, it was, you know, cause the designers, they're, they're coming up with like the, these, the storytelling and like the mm -hmm. dreamy side of things of like the art and the developers, the science of like, yo, that's cool. But if you want to spend this X amount of money and be under margin and over target, go right ahead. But if you're yeah. trying to actually stick to what the plan is and all that. And so for me, I think as a product marketer and the, those product leaders, it's like, again, getting these folks to, to buy in together um, and to know that we're working towards the same goal and that some, Hey, developer, we got, we're going to go have to go over a couple of dollars, but we'll make it up on the other colorways or SKUs or collaboration and things like that is like also working with them on like how to really make everything fit. And yeah. same thing you gotta like designers. negotiate almost. Yeah. yeah. And same thing with like designers uh, of like, yo, we can't use that material right now. As much as you're exploring and want to get that, get that off. It's like, that's not the season for it. Or yeah. I don't think consumers are really feeling that, but I promise you the next season, we can work on whatever you're looking for and what you want to do. Same color. Hey, we got to change that color, man. It's not, that's not it. But, you know, working with them on like what that means for the next seasons or seasons to come is like truly just making sure that everybody is good and that everyone understands that it's more being objective than it is subjective. Cause you know, in footwear, you can definitely find yourself being very subjective if you're not having your ears and eyes to the streets and what's really going on in the market. Um, or if you're just following trends, that's another thing is like, let's just keep doing what's being done out there. And that's where you saw, I think, you know, a lot of folks and a lot of feedback that we got depending on what uh, model or colorway it was, was around is Jordan losing it or are they going too far and for me it's like i can always literally go to the break glass in the emergency in case of emergency and drop a red white and black chicago one and know that that's mm -hmm. going to smoke know that we'll be right back where we were but for me it was again like i said i don't look too much in the past like i was trying to just push as much forward as possible to where it then gives us the right to do whatever we want as long as we want you know what i mean 
and yeah. you that's where you get to the the different type of color blockings for mids and lows that maybe look as good or sometimes better than the high OGs, depending on, you know, what the execution is. Um, and a lot of that also goes to your operations team, I think is some folks don't understand that. And that's more of like just internal kind of like, how are you really setting up your business? And what does that mean for future stake? Trying to think of there's any other roles that may be missing. And then, you know, yeah, I, think super helpful one of the, I think the one last thing is uh, just having a, a great uh, merchandiser. So at some point in the uh, creative process and product creation, you have to stop as the product marketer and hand it over to a teammate that will then put it and distribute it and figure out all that stuff and how, you know, it's going to sit in the marketplace. And if you don't see eye to eye or have a good relationship with your merchandise, it could be tough because again, you're more on the creating side and now they're on the, like the business side of like how many units they want to do where they want mm -hmm. to actually show up as far as distribution. And that was an integral part, man, that I would say was a lot of rough patches getting to where we got to. Um, and we were all learning because at the time it was me with, again, this vision, as well as Jamal backing that vision to then trying to bring everyone on board to understand where we can go and like, how do we pace this to where it doesn't burn out like other franchises that we've seen with Nike and I, I won't name them, but you can go back and just look at how many times they had to bring something back because they just went too crazy, too fast. And for us, it's like, how do we sustain over amount of time while still bringing quality product to, to the marketplace. And if you don't, yeah, if you're not working with your merchandising on that, it could be tough because they see, they can see just dollar signs or see the business side of things while there's still storytelling that needs to happen. And there's still things that need to come out at the right time and all that stuff, be around the, the units, all that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great because I think most people, especially like myself, before I worked in, in the industry or even at Nike, I didn't understand like the how complex the the inner workings of even just one shoe are. So I'm thank you for calling that out. Hopefully that's going to spark something. You don't just have to be the guy sketching the shoe. There is a or the person sketching the shoe. There is a there are so many key roles that uh, from from the time that the sketch gets developed to the time that the kids lacing them up in a store, getting them delivered. So that was super important. One thing you mentioned, I just got to I got to bring up because I always talk about it and I'm glad to hear you say it uh, organically without me asking was like people don't understand that like Jordan's the one brand that is not going to go for the layup every single time when it comes to colorways. Like like you mentioned, you could crush every time if you were like, oh, well, let's do these colors, let's do this. It's like what makes the brand so strong, particularly that era, was that, all right, a classic's a classic. Let's make a new classic. Let's make a new right. classic collection. Let's, let's yep. do the fearless ones on the mid. So I always appreciated that about the brand is like every time someone, like even just the lost and found Jordan one that's about to drop. So many comments saying, Whoa, man, like all they had to do was give us the, the 2015 or an 85 cut, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, yeah, but then they wouldn't be Jordan brand. If they gave the consumer what they want versus telling the consumer what they're going to want with amazing storytelling and craftsmanship, that's what makes them that. Like they're not going to go for the layup. And I always appreciate that. That's actually, that's a great point, Marco, because uh, 
Bob Iger, I was watching like a masterclass of Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney. And he said, there's a point in time where you have to give the consumer something that they don't even know they, they need at that time. And that's what we were trying to start trying to create. And I remember just even working with Donald, um, who's the lead for retros right now. And he has a challenge every day of going against what the consumer wants versus what they need. You know what I mean? And that was our conversation. Like we would literally spend evenings just going back and forth because you would even get that pressure internally. Cause again, it's a business. So if they seen something hit the season before or the year before, it's like, we need to make another one of those. And for us, it's like, no, that actually created us to create something or helped us create something new. And Mm -hmm. how about we keep going until the consumer truly says, nah, you guys are completely wrong. But if these shoes are set, like literally, I think the high OG sold out. If it wasn't a sellout, it was a 90% sell through every week pretty much or anytime we dropped for those like yeah. three years it would and, yeah, and these sure. were again these were new new designs new executions and all that bread toe obsidian royal toe corporate like new classics yeah i think that's where if you wanted to like where maybe the challenges were it was trying to convince folks internally of some of these colorways. Cause then you're also working with geos. Like we don't mm-hmm. have to go super into that, but you're now talking about geographies and yeah. something that's happening in North America might be different than what's happening in Europe. That might be different what's happening in like greater China. So you're dealing with those levels as well as um, color and material. This is from a product marketer's perspective. Color and material wanting to do something, developer saying yes or no, engineering and or uh factory saying we can't or we may be able to do something the business side of things saying we need to do this and all that is like where my challenges were and where i like just tried to keep the integrity of the product in the and the strategy was around just new and fresh and when there were moments to celebrate the past and it was authentic. We did that. If there was moments that we needed to put a twist on it, we worked on doing that. If there was something that we needed to bring that was just out of left field and try, we did that. And we did it also within the business in mind. And that's the biggest thing for me is like, if we go back to kind of kind of the first few questions, I think I was able to get this vision off and strategy off and it still be super successful. Like it was in what nine digits when I started, and I would say low nine digits to yeah. Now it's a multi-billion dollar franchise by itself. So the Jordan One as a franchise is a multi-billion dollar franchise, and that's outside again of retros and all of that. And so be able to have that as an accomplishment and a goal or something that I can say I was a part of and helped lead is 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 an honor and the inner workings that's why I think now even so being outside of you know because I I'm on Instagram and I see some of the headlines and things of that nature is like to understand really what's happening in these brands on these teams and that the consumer 
has only seen literally the 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 end product of it or the end execution that it just came to to retail and that's one of the things that we were talking or I'm talking to in class they were asking me like how is the product creation process and there's this one pager that I have of an illustration that is like a pipeline but it shows like cracks in it it shows shoes falling off it shows people chilling on top of it or whatever it's like it's, it does an amazing illustration of really the 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 process and how there's no right or wrong way and how much I would say, you know, roadblocks and or challenges that are into then a consumer just being able to put a trash can sign underneath the, uh, under a, yeah. there's so much more into that. And I don't take anything from it. For me, it's just to understand what these folks are, are going through in the sense of really trying to work through to build and, you know, put the best product out there is the appreciation that I, the appreciation that I have for, for the, the process. Yeah. And the Air Jordan 1 was probably already the most important shoe of like sneaker in history, right? Even before this era began, but I don't think anybody predicted what it would be today. Um, Across the no board, no one did. Marco, lows, mids, highs, OGs, eighty five. No <laughs> yeah. When no was the one. moment, or what was the shoe when you were like, "Okay, I think we got something special here." Man, it was I'm trying to think. There was a there was a season. I want to say it was probably. Uh, 18 or you think 19 rookie of the year season i think it was that it was around that time yeah it's like yeah. we were there was, there was a lot of hitters in, in in that in that season rookie of the year sports illustrated yeah uh, i think it was, it was 2018 holiday yeah and that was around like just us exploring is like hey mm -hmm. let's see how far we can go without telling a popular story and or just moments and like can we get off some of these like secondary type of stories that people may question um the true inspiration or the authenticity of it but it's like once those were selling and then with the mids and I had more questions around the mids and what colorways we were doing for the mids and then the next thing was like hey do you guys plan on bringing the lows back and all that? Like, that's where yeah. I started to like, yo, it's, it's a wrap. It's like if we got the mids <laughs> yeah. and the lows as a priority talking to these geos and these accounts and then wanting them now to bring them in and all that. It's like, again, the high OGs, like I know our team was going to deliver on the high OGs or at least focus yeah. on the, the high OGs. And it was always going to be a priority. But again, once the, the mids and the lows start clicking, that's where you knew that the, I did feel like the, the franchise was going to be something special and the, the brand nor had a consumer seen it before, you know, you had the air force one, but that was one or two shoes in the sense of model wise, but for us to build out a full franchise and then to go crazy in the marketplace, distributions, collaborations, price points, whatever it may be um, came from once I started to see that people were, looking at the mid and the low as 
business opportunities and wanting to know what the next colorways were. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with uh, Jimo Wong about a similar topic. And we were talking about that at that period of time, the brand was just peaking at every level. So we had the, that was like the rookie of the year was considered inline. And that was, right. and then you had all the collabs hitting and then you had like all this crazy stuff happening. But the one thing I took away from, from something he said was like the inline shoes were felt like in-house collabs. Like those weren't right. just, Oh, here you get a colorway and then you're going to wait for the collab. Like those, the storytelling on those was so next level that it felt like, there was there was they were just as special as collabs because the storytelling and and the execution was so perfect on those and it's like yeah there was like classics that were developed in those in in, in those right. four walls in MJ they weren't they weren't outside ideas they were you guys um and so real quick I do on have that point them. Marco yeah, go ahead real quick on that on that part that was another thing that I wanted to challenge our team because yeah. a lot of folks at the time when I came in for that franchise was trying to go directly to special projects to get a uh, whatever collaboration off or yeah. for them to kind of lead on color and design. And for me, I know we had talented people in line as well that can just do as good um, of work. And the, the background of the brand marketing and storytelling thing is like where I double down working with our material and color design is like, hey, let's make sure anything there's a story behind this or whatever product that we're creating it's like we have stories behind each of these that mm -hmm. a consumer can feel and, and get a sense of like oh they actually took some time with this and it wasn't just like again let's just do a black red combination and call it call it good it was like challenging the team of which was a different way of working i think for some of them of having to come up with stories around either a collection or the full line of like each skew had to have some type of story. And, you know, part of my role was coming in there and cleaning up a lot of things. Cause we at one point had nine high OGs in one season. And this was with collaborations and in line. And there was more collaboration OGs in the market than there were in line and didn't have the units behind it. You know what I mean? So that's bad business in general. Like, yeah, just, that's a disservice to the consumer, <laughs> right? A, a and so because you're kind of dangling the 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 carrier, but they're not getting access to it, right? And so I just wanted to make sure that we we stopped on that point of like it was intentional of really the storytelling and and really working with our color material development team to to really elevate all the stories again if there yeah. were mids lows. Uh, whatever there was, high OGs is like making sure that we yeah, elevated those stories or the product. Yeah, yeah, man, those stories are incredible. I was lucky enough to get to work on on some of those with you and the other members from the design and products teams, and just like diving into these things as a lifelong MJ fan, hearing new stories at that age, and then a fire shoe to go with it was just an incredible time period. I do have to ask though, because I know for as much as the <laughs> brand is built off of the man himself. It's not easy to get something approved by MJ, right? Like you, if you're telling personal stories about what he was wearing to this particular event on this particular day, it all goes through him. Do you uh, do you have anything you can share about how that worked pitching him on stories about his own life on a shoot? Yeah. So one of the stories that was a challenge to get through and yet it still came out the way it did because of more like the media 
took kind of reference points of his past and put tried you know put together a story and obviously I can see it and we were very aware that that may happen but he was still good about it because where the authenticity and the inspiration came from wasn't from a, a bad place or from a place of like trying to make him look bad and I know exactly what say. yeah and it was <laughs> I think I know <laughs> and it was the the best hand in the game story and for us it was like our inspiration behind it was truly that there is no other player ever that was as well-rounded as Michael Jordan. And if you put him up against anything, he was able to compete. Not only did he win defensive player of the year or uh, was on the defensive uh, player, or sorry, defensive team, as a rookie of the year, as slam dunk winner, you know what I mean? Like there was just all these all-stars, all NBAs, championships and all that is like, how do you celebrate all that? Um, and, and it make, makes sense. And so when we started with the inspiration, uh, we were just looking at kind of what can best describe or, showcase or storytell that and we came up with like poker hands because mm -hmm. the, the thought behind that is like at any given hand even if it's not the greatest hand there is another hand that can win like a three of a kind can win a, a poker hand or you know what i mean a flush can win a poker hand so for us it's like how are we able to tell that story um in a tasteful way bring in material that hadn't been really looked at as much with the the suede yeah. and a color blocking though that's familiar so that folks can you know understand where it's coming from and things like that like that's how we were working through a lot of stories as a team is like how do we give a consumer enough familiarity without like going over the top with trying yeah. to be so new and fresh but then also take them to a space to where they haven't seen or heard about and all that and so I think, you know, with that, we were, we came up with the story. And I remember uh, at the time when we first came up with the story, and I didn't know the process. I was still early in the process. They were like, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to get that approved by MJ. <laughs> and I was like, but we haven't got any other shoes approved. They're like, I don't know. That one you may need to get approved by, by MJ. And working with him and his team, and we went back and forth and we, you know, we were very honest with the story around why we came up with it. And he was like, yeah, as long as it stays in that place, even from the brand, then we're good. And obviously, you know, it was what it was when it came out and um, folks had their own opinion on us trying to celebrate, you know, his, some of his personal uh, mm -hmm. past and all that. It was like, it was less of that. It was more of like really storytelling and that i think that's also you know we've had a couple of executions where the story didn't quite hit yet like this the shoe i made has sold out but just the story didn't come out how yeah. we wanted it or things of that nature but working with him i didn't have too many run-ins with him because I, i'm very mindful and thoughtful of just everyone and yeah. people around and what it means to the brand and 
not trying to put any extra light or pressure on us as a team internally, as well as the brand. And like, as, as much as I can stay away from that, I was really able to rock out. Um, but the dope thing was him and how much he was requesting Jordan ones. Like hit Jordan ones is his favorite yeah. shoe, but like truly when we were like on that, that wave, there was a request of like making sure he got a pair of whatever we were doing, like even getting him into like lows and even mids, you know, he hit, he had his own yeah. per, uh, <laughs> perception. I, I would say on mids at one point, but like getting him into those and all that, that was like real dope. And, you know, something that I think the team thought was cool and was inspired by to like continue to do what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, anybody requesting a sneaker that, that you worked on or came up with has got to be special, but when the guy who's, name is on the shoe is asking you right for it. And, and this is based off of his life that's a special that's got to be a special feeling man what a cool story there and um transitioning now like mj you walked away at the at the very top of of your game when it comes to the aj1 franchise you walk in here it's 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 a little misdirected it's not as in demand you leave and it's the biggest shoe in the entire like footwear history and maybe even beyond that it's probably like in just in in apparel and in cultural history now what made you decide that it was time for the next challenge in, in your life and continuing to climb after that incredible run for me it was just my personal ambition and i am a true believer that you know constant elevation causes expansion i have that you know written down and for that is like expanding my my palate and experiencing as much as I can and challenging myself as much as I can. And I knew like, you know, no role at the time would make me happy or like would just make me comfortable in, in staying in that sense. And I had some personal goals that I had wrote down even before I started Nike. And that was to to own my own brand and to work with people that I truly wanted to work with like I literally had to have the choice of whoever I wanted to work with to like be able to choose and build something special um and something that I can stand on you know what I mean and for those and try to bring others with me and so with that you know I was we were on that run in that wave and there was days that I would just go in there and it was something just eating away at me of like yo you're gonna keep doing this and it's becoming like it was becoming like clockwork to be honest you know what i mean like as mm -hmm. much as that um doesn't sound the best but like because of our formula formula and the talent that we had yeah. and where where the shoe was in the market it was hard not for something to do well you know what i mean like it was just yeah. it was happening at a at a very rapid pace and it, yeah, it came down to just more personal things mm -hmm. and what, what I wanted to get after and just my intentions and my integrity of, of myself and things that I had in my vision as just my overall life, man. Like, what are there, what other things are there out there that you, you want to do and want to be a part of? And I love the brand. I have nothing but respect and, and honor for that brand. I still talk with folks that are connected to the brand and you know, there are still conversations of if and when 
I may come back. But at that time that I chose to left or leave was more about me personally and more about yeah. what I wanted to get after life and to, to kind of expand and, and challenge myself in a, a different space in a different capacity. Yeah, man, I respect that. It's it's got to be tough to know that you you have your own plus a bunch of other people's dream jobs, but but understand that you there's still something inside of you that wants to expand. So that uh, I totally respect that. So walk me through and, where and you are with now. that. With that, sorry, with that too. You know, um, of that respect is to your point. Knowing that other folks like truly a dream job for them, like it would be a disrespect i think that role into that brand to not be putting in a hundred percent or allow someone else to experience what i was able to experience the last however many years is all of that played a, a role you know a part of my decision and for me one of the other kind of points was like to leave that place in a better place of when i got there and i, I did just that you know what i mean like it was like mission complete onto the the next and there was only so many other shoes that i can help design like I, where do you go from the jordan one yeah it's tough I, well yeah. you did help usher in the ship but but now but now someone else will, will guide you yeah and even that you know was all a part of the plan of like setting up these things and you know there's a couple of people that can attest to like this was a master plan of like what you see is happening or what you see happening today has always been a part of what I wanted to, to get after. And now that, you know, somebody else that's as talented or maybe even more talented than me, that'll take it to a, another space and another place. So yeah, man, it was, it was all of that, that, that played a role into me exiting Jordan. Yeah. And let's talk about what you're up to now. It's been a couple of years post Nike. You have circle of winners, which you're wearing right now, um, your own brand. And I know division street as well. Um, uh, what is, what are some of the projects that you, that you're excited about today? Yeah. So the biggest thing is circle of winners. It's a lifestyle brand right now. We're focused on just apparel and mm -hmm. goods. I would say, yeah, apparel and goods, but there's even with this, there's a, a bigger vision, um, to really get after some of the passions that I have around travel, around sport, possibly entertainment and music. Right now, we started with uh, apparel and fashion because I think people can see the brand and understand exactly what it is. And doing that at a grassroots level and it being organic is I'm always about building a foundation. Like if you don't have a foundation, it's hard to build on top of that or hard to keep momentum when things are going bad. You know, everyone wants to talk about the things or when they go good. It's like what happens when things go bad? And for me, it's like yeah. you got to go back to your foundation. And so I'm just working on building that foundation day by day to where, you know, you look up in a few years and it's a, a empire. But um, that is one of the that's my main focus, as well as because of my experience, not only at Nike and Jordan, as well as just being a former athlete. I have been like in the NIL space with the Division Street. And this was more from a consulting standpoint. So I'm not really with Division Street. But I was working with some former Nike execs as well, and we helped launch and create basically a strategy around the launch of Division Street, which is the name, image, and likeness company. 
that focuses mm-hmm. on Oregon University of Oregon athletes. Yeah. So with my ties back to the university as well as to the team and Nike and all that, we were able to come in and launch the company that Phil Knight basically had funded for athletes to to help them through the process of this new space of the NIL space with collegiate athletes and all that. So I do that and still like a freelancer consultant in brand marketing and product marketing. And then one thing that I'm super excited for and this project should be coming out sometime in the back year or back end of this year that I would love to connect with you guys to really talk through this, but where we started around the University of Oregon is I'm working on building a, creating a book that actually speaks to the innovation and the impact and influence that Oregon has had on not only the game of football, not only sport culture, but pop culture. And, you know, one of the ties to it and will be heavy in the book is obviously the footwear and what has been done with the collaboration of Tinker and Jordan and all of that. So, when the time is right, I definitely want to tap in with you guys and share with you guys um, that. But yeah, those are those are the things that I have going on, man, is, you know, circle of winners is the, the priority and building that as well as in helping where I can and kind of sharing the knowledge and experience expertise in the product and brand marketing space. Definitely, man. That sounds awesome. Sounds like you got your hands full since then. And, um, you know, Thank you for your time today, but also want to thank you on behalf of just like sneakerheads everywhere. Man. <laughs> the, the the work that you were putting out and that we still see um, the influence there has, has really made the last five, six years of, of not only working here, but just participating um, a special, a special time. And a lot of that is thanks to you and your teammates work. So appreciate you that. Uh, Garen Strong, adjunct professor, Lundquist College of Business, MBA at the University of Oregon. Appreciate you joining us. Appreciate it, man. I really um, thank you just for the invite. And again, much respect and honor to what you guys have going on, because I think it comes from a real authentic place um, and an objective place. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a lot of other streaming platforms, things like that, that for whatever reason. But I think you guys knowing and and bringing something fresh to the, the culture is, is dope. And so I just appreciate you guys inviting me on.